There's nothing more thrilling than nailing an insurance company. And the truth shall set you free! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Great moments are born in great opportunity. Welcome in, everybody, to the Justice Only Podcast, but still here with John and Jordan. Thanks to Justin for coming up with that new intro music. I think that's much better than the other one and it gets me pretty pumped. So hope everyone's doing well. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, first time we got a chance to really hear that. And anytime I get liar, liar to start the day, like I'm, re- I'm ready to go. So One of Jim Carrey's finest roles. Could be the best. Could be the best. Oh, man. What so look, we're, we're here. We're going to talk about a few things today. But, you know, before we went on air, John and I were talking about we have a trip coming up. Uh, we're going out to Vegas for the trial lawyer university workshop, basically, that's going on at the end of this month in October. We'll be going out there. Keo's coming with us. Justin's coming along. We're going to film some content out there, which is pretty exciting. And then hopefully if one of Ray's cases resolves, he'll be able to meet us out there. But it brings up the broader topic, not just about that particular conference or workshop, but the role of continuing your education beyond just the obligatory CLEs that your state bar undoubtedly requires. And John, I don't know how you feel about them because I haven't been to many, especially since before the pandemic started. But why don't you tell me what you think about them? So, you know, I mean, look, there's a lot of unique uh, aspects to going to these kind of events from a educational standpoint, but also like a development, professional uh, development in terms of meeting other people, seeing how other people do things, you know, getting ideas of of how you can really come back and grow and implement different things. And I've been, you know, I know that the FJA puts on one um, down here. I mean, there's various, like Chris Searcy does his Wadire thing. I mean, there's a lot of very good things in the state of Florida. I haven't actually been to any of those i looked at we we had signed up actually for the mark lanier um we were excited about that going to houston and and then they got hit with the hurricane and actually kudos to them because they reimbursed our money in full saying like look we don't want to risk coming out storms coming kind of thing or maybe it was coming here or coming to georgia i think that's what it was but i went to the um american academy of truck accident attorneys in the in austin texas and it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal in the sense that, you know, things, because like the way we learn and grow is, is I, in me for is learning how like other people do it. I don't expect to just, you know, you're, you're going to figure out how to do it on your own. And this is such a, a volume of information that you get condensed into one trip. You're doing different things, you know, you're meeting new people and it's really a great opportunity uh, for any lawyer to go and, and kind of learn and develop. And, you know, I know that for younger lawyers, sometimes they have like scholarship programs because sometimes they can be expensive to go. I mean, obviously for both, for the content you're getting, it's well worth it. So, you know, there are those opportunities, but it's, it's phenomenal, you know, and, and this time, but not all are created equal. I mean, yeah. there's, there's an abundance of people out there who practice law, who are willing to speak and be paid for it. Um, and that's fine. There's there's no shame in doing that. But if you're the person who wants to receive information, you're really looking for the most bang for your buck. How am I going to get the most value? Because I'm sure if you listen to anybody else tell you their opinion on how they how they practice law, you're probably going to get something out of it because you know two heads are better than one kind of idea. But the the real thru- thrust of it should be how can I 
take time away from my practice, but maximize it so that when I come back, I can immediately apply what I've learned and increase the value, I think, for my clients, if not my firm's bottom line. And the one you went out to in Texas, I think Joe Freed was out there and a few mm -hmm. other heavy hitters in the trucking industry. You came back <clears throat> immediately, whether it was from discovery or, or aspects of trial, how to examine witnesses. There was immediate value added to the case. And I think that's what anybody out there should should start from when they're screening these things, because a lot of them occur at the same time. Some are remote, some are in person. There's different commitments and obligations. So you should really look closely, I think, at the agenda of not just who's presenting, what are they presenting on, how are they presenting. Like one of the things I'm most excited for about going out to TLU in Vegas this time, I haven't been there before, but to go out to a conference like that is this one really seems to be prioritizing the use of small group workshops as opposed to just come sit in a large room with 200 in an audience and listen to somebody speak at you. I know they have some of that going on too, and I'll probably sit in on a few, but most of what I'm excited to do is to wake up in the morning and go into a small breakout room with eight to 12 other lawyers, just like me from around the country and have a master at a particular skill teach us or give us things to get our hands dirty and practice a particular set of skills. I mean, that to me is something I have not yet done, or if I have, it's, it must've been years and I'm very excited to do that. Yeah, that's the, the small groups, you know, what we're doing different ones, like if it's very brain injury focus, um, I think that's that's one that Jordan's going to jump into. I'm doing there's uh, Daryl Isaacs. He's the uh, it's a marketing one, you know, for I mean, he had they just had a big mastermind marketing presentation. Um, but I'm going to be in a small group with him. Actually, what's interesting is I'm, I'm having a Zoom meeting tonight, Zoom meeting next week in anticipation of the small group breakout. So we're already doing work now to further get prepared. I mean, we'd have that, that opportunity in a small group. How fucking cool is that, by yeah. the way? I mean, that just shows you that the people who are participating in it on both sides, the people presenting and the people receiving information like you and I, they're so invested in this process that they're starting it before you even get there. Mm -hmm. Not every conference is like that. Few are, I think. And, and that just kind of tells you we haven't been there. I can't tell you in hindsight the benefits that we're going to have. But just going in, it gives you a higher sense of confidence and if not excitement, like, man, I can't wait to show up and, and do these things. You know? Yeah, I mean, and there's various tracks. I mean, they've got trucking, they've got MedMal. Um, there's there's a specific one that, you know, for at least for a breakout group that I'm doing that would seem to be extremely boring, but it's going to be about how we're digging in through the EMR, medical records, things that you can find in the hospital that are like you may not know about. <clears throat> and, and and sometimes with discovery, when when the defense, and I, and you just, I used to deal with this with, when I did federal uh, maritime litigation and doing the cruise lines, they have all the discovery. They have everything. And unless you really kind of know what to ask for and to get, how do you know if they're withholding anything? And right. so I'm excited to do that, um, to come back in some of our bigger MedMal cases we have. And I mean, well, just how, how often can I just say, I mean, now that we've been practicing a number of years, how often have you realized or, or truly appreciated with the benefit of hindsight after you've tried a case by saying, man, I wish I had, x type of document that i never got but i assume existed or i'm so glad i got y type of photograph or whatever it is you know documents or, or basically testimony documents items things in the discovery period turn into your exhibits at trial and so it's great to learn about how to give an opening statement it's great to learn how to cross-examine witnesses these are all critical skills to have as a trial lawyer and i'm not trying to diminish them but I think sometimes people who aspire to be trial lawyers or who are trying cases and want to get better, they overlook those antecedent 
phases like discovery mm-hmm. and i'm so proud of you for like being like no i'm going to jump into this one and learn to make sure nothing slips through the cracks when i'm getting these medical records especially for medical malpractice cases where they're so important um all of this stuff is like building momentum like a snowball going down the hill so that when you go to trial you're in the best position to kick ass and you're not making promises to jurors that you can't deliver or you're not talking about a concept without showing the proof that kind of stuff yeah i mean i mean look like you the more arrows you can have in your quiver the better you know I'm a, I'm a, i used to be a big gamer in my former life you know when you played zelda you had fire arrows ice you know various things and 64 yes we are going back there right now you know but but you know and and each the, the point i'm trying to make is like each one served its different purpose, and right. So, what you want to say is, um, you know, you want to better yourself, and you know, you remember that old saying, and I forget where I heard it. Where it's like, a you know, you know, a jack of all trades is not as good as a master of one, right? But but it also says, but people never read. Like, there's a remaining sentence of it. Uh, Justin's going to pull it up for me, so I look like I've memorized it. It says the full phrase is this is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Right. And that's what people understand. Like, look, you, you can hyper focus on things, but and be really good at one thing. But if you don't have additional knowledge that will help you in other aspects, like you can be better by getting and gaining that knowledge. And that's what we do here. I mean, I've, I'm not I haven't been into EMR <coughs> records in MedMal, for instance, ever. You know, and and so I'm trying to see like what can I find out about you know, and you know I'm excited and to really get out there in Jordan. You know, you come with and, and do some content, have some fun, and you know make it make a make a trip out of it. You know, uh, to to learn and better. Our yeah, practice. there's a social component to these things too. I mean, you're going there during the day to be in the trenches <coughs> and learning, and then you know, not that there's some clear delineation, but then at night they have a bunch of events, dinners, happy hours, whatever. And obviously, it's fun to party and have a good time. I'm not saying it isn't, but there's another value to it, which is now you're you're getting to meet these people in a different capacity. You mm-hmm. know, most will probably let their guards down. You'll get to learn a little bit about who they are, not just as a lawyer, probably as a person, where they come from, their family, uh, their hobbies, their interests, whatever. And then, you know, before you know it, you're establishing or creating new paths with connections with lawyers, probably from outside your jurisdiction that never would have existed, but for you going to these things, you know? Um, so you want to talk about Proverbs. I was, I posted today on LinkedIn cause I heard it, um, a long time ago. I bought the book, uh, Bill Walsh's book, Bill Walsh being the, the now passed on, but former head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, his coaching tree is epic. And, um, you know, his impact on the game is pretty significant. I think it's undoubtable, but in his book where he talks about leadership things and everything else, he talks about success doesn't give a shit how you get there basically. Mm-hmm. Because there isn't just one path. And sometimes I feel like people feel like there is because it's a herd mentality. And I I subscribe to it sometimes too, so I'm not immune from it. But there's definitely um, more common paths that tend to end up in, in more successful positions. But there isn't just one way to do it. And I don't want to leave people with the false sense that if they can't afford to fly out to a different state and spend, you know, thousands of dollars to take away time away from their practice and invest in one of these in-person conferences with workshops that somehow they're off the path to success because, you know, you and I have experienced tremendous growth as lawyers from just reading books, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And like the one I think about most often is Mark Kozaritsky's book on 30 B6, How to Depose Corporations and Entities. We bought that book from Trial Guides. One of the few legal treatises of sorts that I could ever read cover to cover without wanting to blow my brains out is a really interesting <laughs> way of making a dry topic compelling. It's a page turner. It's short. It's well organized. Anyway, I have no affiliation with the book or trial guides. There's nothing in it for me, but I read it cover to cover. When I was done, I put it down and like literally the next morning I started applying the principles and we had a case with very thin, arguably on the fence of no, potentially no legal liability against an entity. It was a strip club. We, I noticed their 30B6 depot, which I had never really drafted a proper one before in hindsight, set the depot, took the depot, crushed it, basically left that deposition, started drafting a motion for sanctions, set it to be heard. And in order to avoid the imposition of those sanctions, defense counsel, I think, John, didn't he just agree to cut a check for like two grand or something? Yeah. He um, was like, there's no defense to this. Like, so I bought a book for whatever the hell it was, 150 bucks. And within like four days, a defense lawyer, and I think that's the only time they've ever agreed, agreed to just cut a check for sanctions. And so now you want to talk about return on your investment. Then that 30B6 we got to use to leverage the, the liability uh, theories that we had, and they ended up settling mm -hmm. for a substantial sum in a case where I think, but for my reading that book, we don't ever get any money from them. They're probably cut out of trial before trial, I mean, because we're just not thinking clearly enough. So that's an example where I didn't even have to leave my house. I ordered the book online. It came a day, day or two later. I read it within a couple of days. And the next thing you know, basically all in within 10 days, it's kind of this life-changing moment for me as a practitioner. It certainly helped that particular client, obviously. But now we continue to apply those principles. And that wasn't the last time we used the principles from his book to get a really remarkable outcome where one of the defendants was a corporation. So Getting back to this notion of like, there's no just one path to success and success doesn't care how you get there. We're still on the journey. I don't want to make it seem like we're, we're satisfied with where we're at. We're not, but there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat in terms of professional development. Yeah. It, you know, and it's funny you mentioned um, the coach uh, Walsh for the 49ers. There's actually, it was, a, it was an interesting quote I read from Nick Saban. <clears throat> where he talked about the five choices in life, right? Uh, what he says is basically we can be bad at what we do. We can choose to be average at what we do. We can be good at what we do. And he says this is probably what God intended for us, was to be good at what we do. And then he says we can be excellent at what we do, or we can be elite at what we do. That's what he says. Those are our five choices. And in order to be excellent and be elite, you have to do something more, and you have to do something different than everybody else. And that's how you get there. And I think the same is true for lawyers. You can be a good lawyer, you know, but if you want to be an excellent lawyer and you have to be an elite lawyer, you've got to do things different. You've got to keep learning. You've got to keep trying new things. You have to be hungry enough and want to go and better yourself, not just for you, but for your clients and what, what all that will bring. And, you know, I think, you know, Jordan's talking about the book, like, yeah, it changed our practice. I mean, we crush corporations now because nobody's prepared. We've had like one, one witness came prepared. The rest are never prepared. And if you don't do it, yeah, the exception that proves the rule. Right. And, you know, this is, so when we try to say like, look, learning from people, reading from people, going to these conferences, learning, because like, look, I don't profess and say that I'll, I'll never say that I'm the best and I'll never be satisfied where I'm at. That's just who I am. I'm never going to, I'm always going to be, think that I'm doing something wrong or I'm not prepared or that's just, I'm hyper, I don't know, I don't want to say hyper psycho. 
about it, but um, it's like hyper insecure. You know, Jordan, you've yeah. seen it before trials. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not prepared. And you're like, you've been working this well, case for four it years. It is a degree of insecurity in a healthy way. And I, I think everybody should have that. I feel like the only way to, not the only way, but two critical components to growth as a professional, like as a lawyer who's been doing it, there has to be a, a healthy dosage of humility. You have to appreciate that you don't know all the answers. You're not going to figure out everything on your own. And that if you are so arrogant to think that you will, you'll likely end up never reaching your full potential. And then a related but different concept is being self-aware, being able to take your own head out of your ass and realize, hey, wait a minute, there's probably somebody who's done this or done it better than I have. You know, that's part of the reasons I go to these conferences. I don't go just for the sake of, I don't care who's going to be there. It's Vegas. Let's just go have fun. We looked up who's going to be there. These are men and women who have accomplished remarkable, if not unique things. They're outliers in our profession. We have to be humble enough and self-aware enough to say, maybe I can go listen and take a, a grain of what they do, incorporate it and make it you know, authentic for me. And then it could be life-changing for the next couple of clients I have and, and you and I as a, as a business for the next 10 years. So you just have to be self-aware. And I, I say that because it's, it's easy to just talk about, but I think if, if everyone just stops and realizes, especially those that work in perhaps larger, more established or even institutionalized firms, you know, I've heard these stories about, oh, there's a there's a bank of documents or templates or serve this discovery because that's how it's always been served. You know, draft the pleadings this way because that's how they've always been pled. Object to this discovery because this is always how we object to it. And, you know, sure, there's a value in expedience and efficiency. It's nice to not have to reinvent the wheel. But if you're never taking time to stop and think about strategically, hey, should I continue to do it this way? Is there a better mousetrap here? Um, am I missing something? You know, I don't want to say life is going to pass you by as a professional, but opportunity sure will case yeah. by case. And, you, and you'll almost never know it. You know? Yeah. But I think like if you do the same thing, like everyone's got this like, you know, you're the cog in the wheel, the same, you're the same plaintiff's lawyer that they always see. They're gonna, you're going to get the same results. When they look at you and are like, what is he doing? What are they doing over there? Like, I've never seen this before. We had a law the lawyer in the hot soup case who ended up tendering the million dollar policy said, you guys are doing things over there that I've never seen done before. Yeah. You know, and it's been, they've been litigating it for 40 years. And I, you know, and I look at that, like, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear people. And it's not like we're doing anything bad or disruptive or like we are just litigating cases harder and in unique ways to get that ultimate end result. Right. I mean, if you're not feeling pushback. Yeah. Primarily from opposing counsel, but, and I mean this, straightforwardly even sometimes from the bench judges look at you you know like when we were challenging the constitutionality of uh, orders referring us to non-binding arbitration you know Se seemingly this relatively innocuous referral that judges have been doing for years now we're just disrupting that you know sometimes they get they look at you side eye so I, I don't mean it as a slight they're just saying well what is this i haven't seen it before if you're not getting pushback or creating some ripples from time to time, it's not like everything you do is going to be groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. But if you're not constantly trying to push the envelope, then you're not doing your clients a disservice because you might very well get a, a, a favorable outcome regardless. But you're not doing your you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not growing and seeing how far you can push certain legal principles to the benefit of your clients without overstepping the lines. And I think if you continue to push and challenge yourself to be creative, and part of that is going to these conferences or listening to webinars. And frankly, it's part of the reason John and I even do this podcast in the hopes that somebody there listening, even if they take one thing from us and it helps change their practice for the better. I mean, 
this is this is the type of stuff you need to do. And so we don't want to just preach it. We want to do it. And that's why we're willing to take the time out of our day to do this. Yeah. Got to give back. I mean, look, you know, I remember what it was like to be a younger lawyer. I mean, shit, I'm still a younger lawyer, I feel like. I mean, 10, 11 years. I mean, some people say, well, you're not relatively young. I still feel that way. I mean, I still feel like I'm a young lawyer, but recognize we've got grown big boy lawyer results. That's why I look at it, you know, but, but at a younger, early, early age because of the work that we've done, the grind that we've done, the, the late night hours, the, all of the things that put you in a position to, to do good work. And it's like, what was it? <clears throat> I think the quote's from, is it Adrian Lima or Adriana Lima, which says that if you're nervous, that means that you care and want to give your best, right? And, and so for me, when I'm nervous before trial, even though I'm so prepared, like I am so prepared, it's just that internal uh, uh, thing that I have that's, that's that hyper insecurity. <clears throat> and I think it, because I was looking at, I was listening today, on, I was running this morning and I was listening to a, a, like a podcast and they were talking about like successful traits of like hyper successful individuals, right? And they say, you know, everybody's like 4 a.m. club, 5 a.m. club. They're like, that. I know there's, there's like uber rich people that get up early. There's people rich people that get up late and work late, right? There's people that, you know, they exercise every day and there's other people that, you know, don't. There's people that eat healthy and all that. There's other people that eat, drink soda and eat french fries all day. And it like, so they, they're like, <clears throat> so they're like, those aren't really the defining factors of what makes people like the traits of, of, of successful people. I, one of the ones, well, one was, <clears throat> it's a superiority complex, right? They believe that they are the best at what they can do and they believe they're better than anyone else. And sometimes as a trial lawyer, I've, I've talked about it, you got to have that superiority complex. The, the, I don't remember the one in the middle off the top of my hand, but the third one I remember was it was, they were, they're hyper insecure, right? They don't, they don't think they're ever going to be good enough. They don't think anything they're going to be done is going to be, you know, they're going to be satisfied. And, and <clears throat> so I think that by having that little bit of that hyper insecurity or being that like, that's a, that's a good thing to have. It's if it's a, uh, you know, you're going to work so much harder for your clients because you feel like you're not doing enough. You know, what was the, I, I think we talked about it before the Jordan tech football coach. He says like people who work, you know, the lazy people don't want to work. And the people that work all hard do so because they think they're being lazy, Right. you know, and, and it, it's true. I think the same is true for us as, as trial lawyers is like, we've got to keep that, focus keep that edge sharp and how do you do it it's 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 bettering yourself and learning from other lawyers right yeah i i think that um too much is made or maybe too much of was made by me for years thinking that there are these unicorns of cases the, that the case is comprised of all the necessary ingredients to achieve a one-of-a-kind result and the more i practice the more i realize that's bullshit it's just complete bullshit. It's if anything, you should be striving to become the unicorn so that whatever client hires you for that particular case, you're going to get a unique result. And I think the only way that you do that is if you adopt these principles, we're talking about the things that John is saying, don't rest on your laurels, be, have a healthy dose of insecurity, have a healthy dose of bravado, but also be humble enough to recognize you don't, you don't know all the things that you should. And if you continue to operate that way, Unfortunately, one of the necessary ingredients, I think, is time because you need to apply these things, get your teeth kicked in, you know, fail miserably, succeed in a, in a tremendous way, and then 
have the benefit of time to look back on it all and then kind of find out, all right, this is the fabric that I need to weave together to get the most successful result I can in a case like this. Because we can't, we can't speed up the clock, not that many people would want to, but it does take a degree of time, which brings me to a related concept. Going to conferences is great, and reading books is great, and listening to podcasts is awesome. I do it all the time. But if you don't apply what you hear or read or see, then you're also doing yourself a disservice. Like, I think there are some people out there who listen to podcasts, they read certain blogs or whatever, and in the moment, they're like, yeah, this is great. And then they go right back. They revert right back to what they've always done. It's kind of in one ear, out the other. And if you don't apply or, or challenge yourself to take a concept and turn it into something tangible that you can you can use, then, then what are you really doing? I mean, you might make yourself feel better, and there's a value in that in a given moment to alleviate some stress. But you've really got to be willing to put your hands in the dirt and, and make something grow out of it. And that gets to the overall principle of what a trial lawyer is. I mean, we don't call ourselves trial lawyers because it sounds good, although I know there's some people that do that. We call ourselves trial lawyers because we try cases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the root of the word is try. I mean, you got to try. And trying does not is not synonymous with success all the time. Mm -hmm. Trying is synonymous with you're making an attempt. You can't control the outcome, and you're going to fail often. And some of the best trial lawyers I know or have heard of or read about they too have lost, even if not a lot. You know, who is it? Um, I know I've read about Edward Bennett Williams, The Man to See. It's a great book. There are others, Jerry Spence's of the world, you know, the rumor mills swirl and who knows what can be verified or not, but about these people that basically never lose. They tried everything, all different kinds of cases, commercial, personal injury, criminal, you name it. They just never lose. They're like jury whispers. And you know what? Maybe there are some outliers out there like that. But I like to believe, based on my life experience, that the people who are out there trying a sufficient enough amount of cases to get better and grow, they're taking L's all the time. I mean, you know, or not, I shouldn't say all the time, but with, a, with enough of a frequency that it allows them to grow. Because if all you do is go out there and do the same thing and always win, you're never going to get better. Yeah. And a lot of these people out there who have accomplished tremendous results, when you when you finally listen to them on a podcast or have an opportunity to speak with them, they share with you they almost remember their losses more than their victories. You yeah, know? I mean, you know, we read, I forget what portion of the book, when Nick Rowley talked about he lost three trials in a row and it questioned whether he wanted to be a lawyer anymore. And we had that experience where we, trialed, we tried Angel Montero, got $30,000, nothing in the future. Obviously, we got a new trial and appeal. And then we rolled that into, I think, Connie Adair, which got twenty grand. Basically a loss because they were offering 150k pre-suit or pre-trial, <clears throat> and then something and it was like, you know, all this time, energy, you know, expense seems wasted. You know, in that moment, it's like that shit is wasted. I wasted all my time and I got nothing. You know, and and I and I thought about that. It's like, well, what what was I really concerned about? You know, and I'm concerned about not making money. Right, like trying the case, like, yeah, we took the fight to the mat, but now we're not gonna get paid. Oh, I should have taken that 150. You know, I'm always questioning that. And it's like, but why is that the focus, right? We talk about, obviously in our system of justice, our primary focus is for clients and money and recovery, and that's it, because that's all we can get. But what I've, what I've learned and recognized is that money is really not the most important thing for anyone, you know, even for our clients. I mean, you know, Joe Free talked about where he has in trucking cases where he makes them change policies 
as a result of settlement. So it doesn't happen to someone else because, you know, and the way to think about, you know, I listened to this other guy and he was talking about, if you want to think about, to show you that money is not the most important thing, you said, look, if I give you, I will give you a million dollars a year, but you're going to die tomorrow. Right. And they're like, or a million dollars a day, but you're going to die tomorrow. And you're like, well, obviously you're not going to take that because you know, you're going to be dead. And so obviously you value your life more than you do money. And it's like, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars a year, but you're going to be sick the rest of your life. Every single day, the rest of your life, and you're like, well, I don't want that. So you obviously value your health more than money. And then it says, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars a year, but your mother's going to die tomorrow. So you value your personal relationships more than you do money. So what he talked about is saying like all of those things that you have, personal relationships, time, you know, uh, health, life, those give you fulfillment. Those, those fulfill you with those things. And then when you are fulfilled as an individual and as an entrepreneur and as a trial lawyer, it allows you to go do those other things that will make you money. Right. And I really, it really resonated with me. It was only a couple of days ago that I listened to that because it's true. And for our clients, sometimes just having someone to go in there and fight for them is worth more than them getting any money because you had someone that listened to them. We put it on the line together. We worked hard day in and day out and we either won or lost together. And you know what? They just were happy that someone spoke up for them and tried to be against the people that hurt them. I have... I'm thinking as you're talking of many clients through the years that I still have a relationship with, even though their case is either over or about to be or didn't go the right way, the way we wanted, where the relationship is still as strong as ever because there's a deep appreciation and respect for one another to know, A, what the client went through that led them into our office, and then B, they see that we poured our heart and soul and gave everything we had into and went, as you said, went to the mat for them. And in those with those clients, many of those clients, you're right. The outcome itself, it's not insignificant. Even if you win it, it's just it pales in comparison to the the level of appreciation. They want to be heard. They want to be vindicated. Mm-hmm. They want people in the community, jurors, t- to hear their story, to know that maybe some corporate defendant is doing something that it shouldn't be and should be held responsible. And if we can give them that opportunity to live the rest of their days knowing that they tried, you know, that's you can't place a price on that. And, you know, you know, just like I do, one of our largest cases and in turn, I think biggest loss ever was a relative of mine. And we fought that case tooth and nail for years, had multiple stops along the way where the ripcord could have been pulled if we weren't willing to fight. Every reason to just say enough is enough. But, you know, deep down, the only way that people would be able to put their heads on a pillow at night and look back 10 years from now was to know that we went to the mat. And that's what we did. And because we don't have a crystal ball, we were wrong about the ultimate outcome. But everybody feels better and has peace of mind as compared to when they first went through this tragic event and felt helpless. Because at least we fought, we tried, the system hurt us and then chewed us out, chewed us up and spit us out. But at least at least we went. We stepped into the ring, you know, and, and, and for a lot of people, we're not wrong. Matters. We're not wrong. We were people. People said we were wrong, but we're not wrong. And you know what? I will stand by that t- till you know I'm dead somewhere in a hole in the ground. Because I feel the same. What happened in this case is, quite frankly, to me, it's disgusting. And and, and various levels, you know, and you know, obviously, we're not going to get into the details about it. But you know, the the reality is, is that. Even, like, when you have P. 
people at different levels that come from certain communities in the judicial system, I, I, I think they tend to vote a certain way. And I will, you'll never change my opinion on that. And that's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, some people well, don't. Well, judges are humans. Yeah. So until the day that judges are automated and it's technology, and by then we'll have different problems. But since time immemorial, I mean, it's judges are people. People are humans. Humans are flawed. Humans are biased. And that's not to say there, I've never met a judge that I don't think in their heart believes that they're uh, being unfair or something like the, it's always the opposite. It's it's always that they believe that they're doing the right thing or that the law requires one thing or the other. Just sometimes it's harder to swallow because um, the optics of it doesn't look that way. Right. right. The, the, ver- other, the verbiage, external circumstances, right, yeah. the verbiage used doesn't look that way, you know. Yeah. But it's all right. Like, you know, we'll take we, it. We march on, though. I yeah. mean, that's that's what I was getting to earlier. You got to you got to take your licks. You got to take your L's and, and keep going. Otherwise, I mean, look, this is not this is another point, because uh, I remember in law school, several classmates, I think if you were to when they were asked or put in a position to volunteer their aspirations, you know, oh, I want to try cases. I want to try cases. I want to be a trial lawyer. I want to be in court and blah, blah, blah. Um, and almost none of them did. Still to this day, almost none of them have ever done it. Um, that's not a slight on them. They could have changed their mind. They could have just been wrong. Like, that's not. But I think people should know that if that's really what you aspire to do, which is to go to court and stand up for another human being, especially whether it's criminal or civil, um, and go toe to toe with a big opponent with a big justice system that's inherently unfair and biased and prejudiced, and some laws are slanted against you, et cetera, you've got to be prepared for, for losses. You've got to be prepared to overcome adversity because if you're not, if you don't have the stomach for it, it'll chew you up and spit you out and you'll, you'll just wash out. You know, you just, you have to be willing to just go into it knowing that I'm, I'm likely to lose at some point. And when I do, I'll learn from it, but I won't let it, I won't let it kill me. I won't let it stop me, you know? Yeah. And that's why I love what we do because I'm, I'm hyper competitive. Like in my core, it's probably an unhealthy amount of competitiveness, but I actually share that with my wife, who's a former athlete, and um, we compete in everything we do. And I love what we do as trial lawyers because there's wins and losses that you can measure. You can you can actually measure it. You know, can I measure a client's satisfaction? No, not really. I mean, but you can you can perceive wins and losses a lot easier in what we do than perhaps and again no slight on them it's just not my cup of tea but perhaps commercial dealings where huge law firms with 40 lawyers are representing corporation abc versus another 50 lawyers from another big corporation who you know what i mean and they're wheeling a dealing and they're negotiating billions of dollars and it's like i don't even know how you measure who wins and loses in that context i guess by going in with certain objectors saying i hope to get this negotiating but as big of a scale an economy of scales that is like it's an order of magnitude higher Walking into court with one human being's life or one family's life, like, for example, maybe their patriarch has been catastrophically injured. You walk into court for them. You try and convince a juror to give them justice. When you leave that courtroom, if you're really being honest with, with your self-reflection, you know if you've won or lost. And I love that. I love that competitive element of it. I hate to lose, though. Well, that's... I'm not, I'm com- doesn't like to lose. <laughs> yeah, I'm as competitive you know? to, as you and, you know... But at the same token, you know, when everyone's like, well, I'm going to beat you, I was like, okay, go beat me. You know, don't, 
Don't talk about it. Be about it. If you're going to beat me, beat me. And then, you know, like if, if you were saying <clears throat> they're supposed to win this trial, we're going to trial, then who has more risk? Right. <clears throat> is it the person that, that is supposed to lose? If I'm supposed to lose, then I've got no risk. You know, and, and I say, look, it's going to be a bad, sad day if you lose this trial that you said and told everyone and pounded your chest that you were going right. to win and you were supposed to win and we were never going to win. And we've had that. You know, we've had people that said, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, and then we win. You know? Well, sometimes it, they make it easy for us. Like, you know, it's, it, of course it happens where there's a pending settlement offer on the table that's so substantial that there's a legitimate consideration for the client to say this might be enough to pull the plug here like is it really worth saying no to this to go gamble for the unknown because it is a gamble at its core that's that's different but th that happens but it's not the common story the common story is you're offered an okay amount of money nothing to get you like jumping out of your bed saying oh my god you got to take it, you got to take it um but when they give you those offers your client those offers i think that's that's the gift to your point about risk, I mean, you're you're basically in a position where they're not forcing you to take it because you'd be crazy not to. Then we have all the upside because odds are in those cases you're going to recover at least what they're offering you, if if not more. I mean, how many times have you gone on? And I think this is great. Rising tides lifts all boats. I, I'm happy to celebrate other firms' successes despite the fact that they practice the same kind of law we do because. Hell, I know. Just I know in my heart, I can't help everybody that needs my help. Just because I'm eligible to doesn't mean I have the time to. So I'm happy to celebrate other firm successes. But how, how often do you see those posts? We've done them too, where it's like initial offer or last offer X. Result, 30X at trial. I mean, that just tells you that mm -hmm. there's there's something magical that can happen if you're if you're willing to push the people if you're willing to push things to trial. Right. I mean, know? when they make the decision easy for you and don't offer you enough money to to make it worthwhile, then it makes the decision easy for the client. So saying, look, we can take a shot. We'll get PFS insurance. We'll protect you. And then let's go. Let's just take a shot and see if we'll win. You know? And I think that yeah. by developing a lot of the strategies that we have, we have seen, you know, done that and, and had seen good success lately. So we just got to keep, keep doing it, keep getting in there. All right. So this will probably be the last episode that we produce before we head out to Vegas for a trial or university, which we're pretty fucking excited about. So stay tuned for some content for Vegas. But in the meantime, if you're not able to join us out there, um, but you're thinking about, hey, how can I better myself? I know earlier I mentioned Mark Kozaritsky's book on 30 to 6 depositions from trial guides. There's another great book on depositions, but just generally about deposition obstruction and how to overcome defense lawyers who are constantly objecting, coaching, whatever. That book is uh, Deposition Obstruction Breaking Through, also by Mark Kay. And then... Another one I really like is um, by Mike Neff, who's a lawyer here in Georgia who does primarily premises liability cases, but he's got now two because I think he just put out a, an updated version, books on like advanced premises liability, how to how to prosecute those cases from start to finish and come out successfully. And he's had some pretty remarkable results. So you can always check out that. And there's a bunch more too. But so until we return from Vegas or see you out there, thanks for tuning in to the Justice Only podcast, and we'll see you next time. See you guys.